Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello. Did you notice that I said pop culture podcast for smart people? I did notice that. I wondered if we were going all gender neutral. Yeah. So during the week, I've had a few uh, snap chats and Instagram some, stories. Some snap Snapchats. chats. I was forgetting the name of it. Snapchats. I don't use it very much anymore, but from men. So one guy that I did Kentucky with, his name is Ash, four years ago, he sent me a video of him listening to Shameless while driving around the mines in Perth. Well, there you go. Smart people who love dumb stuff, not just women. We can't put them in a box of just women. Anyway, coming up on today's show, why everyone's getting sick of The Bachelor, what on earth do we do with men in the public eye who have royally fucked up, and the breakup statements so saccharine we feel a little bit queasy. But first, Zara, how was your week? My week was pretty good, I have to say. Um, I think... It was good until the point I, we got a little notification on our Instagram saying that one of our most popular Instagram posts. Uh, 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 the most popular ever. It sorry. had 550 likes. Not that counting. <laughs> uh, had been deleted because of bullying and harassment. Yeah, and the twist here is that we were apparently bullying Romy from The Bachelor, the ultimate bully. So in the interest of full disclosure, this was your post on Instagram, not mine. We don't have much of a method to the madness on that Instagram account. No, we don't. We both both just go a bit rogue. So why don't you explain what happened? Let me take it away. So there was this fabulous screenshot from The Bachelor with subtitles up of Romy and Kat saying she looks like such an effing douche while Romy was wearing a T-shirt that read, the future is female. So mm. I just put that up and said, look, Romy, feminism wants that T-shirt back. And the people agreed. But then Romy didn't agree. <laughs> Someone didn't agree who reported it. And now we're, now we're Instagram harassers who won't have our account deleted because of it. It's okay. I don't think we're bullies. I don't think so either. <laughs> feminism funny. wants its T-shirt back. How was your week? It was a really good week. I do want to talk about, so anyone who is on our Instagram page would be seeing the professional photos that we started sharing. Yeah. We got them done last weekend. I do just want to make a note of, I want to find out if any listeners are similar to me here. As soon as someone wants to take my photo, who's not like a friend or anyone, and I feel a bit nervous, my eyes start uncontrollably watering. Like, 
rivers of tears coming out of my eyes. I'm not sad. It's just like a weird, anxious reaction I have. Even when I go for job interviews, if I've got a full face and makeup on, my eyes water so much the entire time. And that's what happened during that entire photo shoot. I had to wipe tears from my eyes about every 30 seconds that so we were getting those photos done. Not born to model? No. No, 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 so, no. And am I under the impression that you're soliciting free medical advice from our listeners on the back of us denigrating anyone soliciting free medical well, advice from people who aren't experts? I don't have any advice. I'm just thinking it's some type of weird disease that no one's diagnosed Just yet. a little quirk. Just anxious eye-watering. Where I do want to start, if I could yes. bring us back to the centre, please, yes. um, is The Bachelor this week. Because I think anecdotally I have found across the board is that The Bachelor is, isn't getting the same kind of really positive reaction from its viewers as usual. And I do think... It's struggling, maybe not in the ratings, but I think people are struggling with the show. How do you feel about it? And well, do you agree? I do agree because I think we've seen that in our Facebook group alone. I mean, there's 1,200 women in there, so obviously it's quite a small sample size that we're using. But the women in our Facebook group are very frustrated with the narrative from this season of The Bachelor. I do have a bit of a theory that we're moving far more towards the American model, which I would say the Australian model of The Bachelor has always been built on 60% love, 40% drama, right? Mm. To keep people interested, but also keep the crux of the show really wholesome. I think we're moving towards an American model where it's 80% drama, 20% love, because everything we're seeing is bitchy and over the top and snarky. I wonder if it's a couple of things. I think you you are right in that it's moving to an American model, but I do wonder why that might be the case. Is there actually no real strong love story to that can be an underlying thread of this entire series so they actually have to go to the drama? Well, I think it might be that they're going to star power. And when you go to star power... Like that Sophie maybe Monk. naturally comes. Yeah, with yeah. Sophie Monk and now the Honey Badger. And I know for a fact that Sophie Monk's season was the highest rating season of any Australian Bachelor yeah. or Bachelorette. So I think this model unfortunately works for them, but it just means that we don't feel so good while we watch it. We but feel a bit trashy seem, and shit. That doesn't seem like a good business model. I mean, the, the ratings can be great now, but I don't know what kind of longevity there is in that. If I don't feel good about watching something and I have been pretty open in the fact that I have turned off The Bachelor this year because I, I just it feels so contrived and so formulaic and so predictable, every storyline feels so predictable, that I don't understand how that can be good for brand and generate lots of money when people are feeling terrible watching it. And I think that's the sense I'm getting on social media is no one's really enjoying what's going on. Well, you're saying that, but the American Bachelor has been going to what, like 11 billion years now? How many? 11 billion. Okay, sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the the other thing that I find curious is that the, the Australian Bachelor has been built and I think having worked very closely writing content about The Bachelor with Channel 10 in the past is that you do get the sense that Channel 10 and the production company do feel like they're doing something very noble in finding people to fall in love. I think that we can agree on that. It is curious to me that after having built that brand and having tried so hard to spread that message and convince people that this is about love, not drama, it is love with a side of drama, that they're going to change that and flip it on its head so dramatically. Yeah. I wonder how Osha feels about it all. Probably terrible. Probably pretty downtrodden. I do think... It was curious to see some of our listeners, uh, for example, Monique Bowley, who works in podcasts at the ABC, has a theory that Romy and Kat, who are the two biggest bullies from this season, that they're both paid actors. Mm. What do you think about that? I think 
that might be a little too black and white, but I think there's definitely merit in considering that they've been planted there in some way, shape or form because they're fitting the villain brief too perfectly. Yeah. I don't know anyone like that. I know I know people who can be maybe a little bit malicious or on the nastier side, but no one plays that character so perfectly and just is so brazen in their criticism of other people. Yeah. You just don't see it. I do have a question for you. If we – so we obviously watch The Bachelor and we know it's all production and we know it's very – probably scripted or manipulated by the producers and public attitude towards Cass, mm. the 23-year-old who was originally branded the stalker ex, public attitude towards her has really shifted. Everyone's mm. really sympathetic towards her. If we can see that she's being manipulated by producers, do you think we can see or apply the same logic to people like Kat and Romy? I think there's an element of us having to do that for sure. I think we can't sit here and we have for years, we haven't for years, but we've had conversations for, for seasons about how we have to be very careful in our attitudes towards villains because things are chopped and changed and narratives are crafted for a particular purpose. And I think the cast storyline, you're absolutely right, has troubled me for, for weeks now because I think that there's this young girl who's been manipulated and has been absolutely destroyed by a pr- production and post-production. But I think also, Kat and Romy, you can sense that, that there are things you can't actually make up. Yeah, and there are snippets of them talking to a camera, saying some really horrible yeah. things, and you can't manipulate that. You can't chop and change their words in that scenario. You can see their mouth, you can see their lips, you can see the horrible things coming out of them. I also think it comes down to intent, and mm. I think you can see that Cass's intent is not to come across as crazy in any way, shape, or form, and yet mm. that's what's happening. But with Kat and Romy, their intent is to make other women feel uncomfortable. Yeah, It feels... It feels very deliberate, I have to say. Yeah, it does. I tell you what, I'm nowhere near done with it. I know that it's not as lovely as other seasons. I remember watching Sam Wooden's Nazana fall in love and Tim Robards and Anna Heinrich fall in love. Did the old water eyes happen again? Yeah, it did. This time for real, though. I was going to say, well, not for the emotions, just the anxiety. (laughs) No, I cry in a lot of finales. I'm not going to lie. No, so do I. We've cried together in a finale. It's an emotional roller coaster, those finales. (laughs) So I remember what it used to be like. And yes, I do miss it a little bit, but I am not done with The Bachelor. For some reason, I keep coming back. I keep enjoying every episode. He has surprised me. I don't necessarily love him as The Bachelor, but I do think... He's quite entertaining and I think he – I do like the way he speaks because I think as the series has gone on or as the season has gone on, it's only peppered with that quirkiness and zest that was flooding the first couple of episodes. true. They really pushed it very hard. Also, I would like to refer to him from now on as the smudgy bugler because my (laughs) mum (laughs) – because when I was trying to have a conversation with my mum the other day about The Bachelor, she says, I just find the smudgy bugler so sincere. And my dad is sitting in the conversation having absolutely no fucking idea what's going on. And you know when you just know someone so well that you're just translating for them? Like we just continued the conversation without me picking up that it's actually the honey, the honey badger. badger, but the smudgy oh, bugler. Trish. Um, so I, I do agree with you, though, in fact, they're, they're not pushing that character as hard. But I just think the entire lack of sincerity in this season will – I think that'll be telling come the end of the year. I think that when the finale comes, it's probably going to pull less numbers because people at the end of the day actually seek out this show because of its sincerity. Mm. Before we do wrap up and go into the quick and dirty, I do want to just give a shout out to the most idiotic line that I've ever heard on this season or The Bachelor so far in all of its six years. This is big. This was a male producer 
speaking to a female contestant. So one of the contestants was too nervous to kiss Nick and then was upset about it. And it was just a bit and of an awkward I think moment. we all know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Let's not go into that. And he goes to her, you're a girl. You can do whatever you want. Sorry, what? That is a st- What do you mean? You can do whatever you want because you're a girl. There are lots of things we can't do. Pee in bushes. Pee in bushes, but come on to men who don't want it is can't not one of them. Well, also men can't go and do that to women either. <laughs> Nobody but, can do it. But I'm just saying there is so many things we can't do. And that is like the ultimate young white producer, like some hotshot being like, just be who you want to be and go for it. You can do whatever you want. No, we can't. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle that you may have missed. Michelle, what have you got for us this week? All right. First up, lots of listeners wanted us to talk about this this Mm. week. So obviously we did too because it was a massive story and it's kick-ass. So my first story is Serena Williams' tutu is the best sartorial clapback to the French Open's catsuit fan. That's from Hello Giggles. Tell you what, the clapback in headlines can get in the bin. Yeah, clapback's a terrible term. I also don't like the website name Hello Giggles. I know that it gets millions of people to that website every single day, but who the fuck came up with that name? I think it was actually Zoe Deschanel. Oh, sorry, It was her Zoe. website. Oh, okay. Anyway, back to <laughs> Serena. <laughs> this was a great story. We posted this on Instagram and it was in the Facebook group, I think, and people really enjoyed. They aren't generally really enjoying Serena Williams at the moment, but this story in particular. So... Just for some context, when Serena Williams was playing in the French Open this year, she wore a catsuit. And when I say catsuit, I mean a suit. It was a full of, <laughs> of the cat variety. It was It was kind of like a full-length version of skins. Yeah, it was a compression garment, full-length sleeves, full-length legs. So catsuit. Full-length legs. Where does catsuit come from? I don't know, but it had a red band around the waist as well. Yeah, it was quite cool. And she was actually wearing it for... Medical purposes, she says, after having given birth, it was going to help her um, with blood clotting and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was banned for reasons unknown. For reasons pertaining to the patriarchy, it was banned. (laughs) Like most things that are banned. (laughs) If you're a woman, your knees must be out at all times. And just maybe a little bit of boob. (laughs) (laughs) If you feel like it. Can we get a nipple in there? Yes or no, Serena? (laughs) Anyway, Serena turns up at the US (laughs) Open in a goddamn tutu, obviously saying, I can't wear an outfit. Like the cat suit, but look at me, I'm going to wear something almost as equally as ridiculous. Yeah, I can't wear an outfit that my doctors advised me to wear so I don't have a life-threatening condition. But here I'm going to rock up in a tutu and fishnets and fucking dominate the court. What a queen. All right, my second story. Sophie Monk reveals she has a new boyfriend she met on a plane. That's from The Age. You're giggling and I don't know why. (laughs) I have like... Far too many feelings about this. Okay. Well, Um, my first feeling, you can react to this, is that Sophie Monk has only met this boyfriend once. That was on the plane. And I'm not sure how wise it is to go and tell the Australian media that you are together and in love. From cats who When you've seen each other once. Kidding. Sorry, too harsh. Onwards. (laughs) No, I do think a couple of things about this. It was very interesting to me that Sophie Monk has come out publicly on Kyle and Jackie O, no less, to talk about this relationship. When you're right, she has only met him once on a plane. Granted, he does live overseas, somewhere quite mysterious, apparently. And they talk on the phone every day. What I found perhaps a little frustrating is when people like Sophie Monk consistently plead privacy around their relationships and their private lives and consistently say they can't meet anyone because of the the fierceness of the public eye and, and trying to exist and live in the public eye. And then the minute she starts dating someone who, might I just remind us all, 
only met once <laughs> and, and wanting to talk about it straight away, that's what I really struggle with because there is a real sense of hypocrisy there for me. Yeah, absolutely. You can't invite the media in and then when, when only it suits you or when things get ugly, push them back out. I think mm. it, you determine the narrative as a celebrity. I think someone like Zoe Foster Blake is very good at towing the line between I'm a professional per, like public person but my relationship is private mm. and I think that's a really good distinction to make. Women like Sophie Monk, I think it's really foolish decision to invite the public into a relationship that is this new, this fragile, and this up and down. How can you even – it's a tumultuous time for this relationship. They've met once. <laughs> I know. And can you imagine the many media outlets who are trying to track him down now? Do you know how many men I've met once who I thought I was in love with and then it doesn't work out That's very a, often? More about you or yeah. <laughs> love? <laughs> All right, my third story. We always have to put one in for you royal fans out there. So Meghan Markle breaks protocol in tuxedo mini dress, just like Diana. That's from Yahoo B. And I love how any story about Meghan Markle suddenly gets Diana in the headline. Oh, I know. This tuxedo dress, we had uh, mixed feelings about it. We kind did. Of, so she was going to a musical with her husband, Prince Harry, and I loved it. It was a full-length sleeve uh, but mini tuxedo dress, as the headline stated. I thought it was really nice and classy for the event she was going to. It was a nighttime event, which is really important to remember when we talk about royals and their etiquette and what they're wearing, because you can get away with racier outfits at nighttime compared to daytime, and she would never be able to wear this during the day. But she's allowed to wear something that's a little bit short at night, in no, my opinion. I'm not saying that she can't. I just thought it was funny when we had a conversation about this dress, and you think it's just you said to me, it's it's so strange that everybody's calling this risky. And I thought that's funny because to me, the minute I saw photos of this dress, I thought the, the first thing I thought was that is quite risky for a princess and not in a sense that, wow, she shouldn't be showing that much leg and not in a sense that I even care, but more because I thought that is the kind of thing that's going to generate discussion regardless of whether you intend it to do. And she's a smart woman and surely she knows that's going to be headline inducing. I really loved that dress. I loved it too. Yeah, I loved I'm just it. saying, I don't, again, it's not the kind of thing you can complain about pulling headlines from when you probably know you're playing into it. Story number four. Drake dating Bella Harris, model warned to stay away from rapper by trolls. That's from Metro UK. God bless the trolls. <laughs> I Look love, at them. PSA. For I love the trolls. The trolls. Uh, Bella Harris, what, 18? Yeah. So Bella Harris is a model, very successful model, but she does have a father who's in the music industry and that's how she knows Drake. They've known each other. she became a model too? No, she's gorgeous. Oh my I god, go look photo. at oh my god, go look at her profile. She's got the most incredible skin and hair. Anyway, so she has known Drake since she was 15 or 16. They are apparently dating now. It's not quite confirmed, but god, I'm sick of young girls being matched up with much older men. It really reminds me of Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. Mm. So in that comedy special, it's like a political comedy special. She basically Hannah Gadsby was talking about Older men wanting to date younger women because it's another avenue of control that you have all this life experience. And what are you looking for? If you are in your 30s like Drake is and you're so successful and you've got a child and you've got all this relationship history behind you, why are you looking for a teenager? Mm. What is that? I agree. I think we did cover this a couple of months ago when we spoke about Sophia Ritchie and Scott Disick dating. And I think a lot of our feelings are in that episode. But essentially, it is not a lot of people call this stuff out as as absurd as it is, because it is quite troubling. And I think we should be able to have conversations about that. Yeah. All right. My last story. I have got a little bit rogue, but I do want to hear your opinions on this. 
bikini barista coffee chain in California <laughs> drawing criticism from residents. That's from news.com.au. Context? All right. So <laughs> this coffee or cafe chain is called Bottoms Up Espresso. And they're terrific. Their white male CEO says, we are a very classy business and pride ourselves on customer service and quality drinks. He makes any woman who serves coffee wear a bikini or her underwear and a pair of heels. That is inspired. It's so, so stupid. It does remind me of um, when there are sometimes conversations about equal pay with like women in sport and suddenly you just see the image of, of that competition where women play NFL in their bikinis and it's like, if you want equal pay, just play in a bikini. So true. This is how it's going to close the pay gap. Yeah, I know. Get some extra tips, wear a bikini. I feel empowered. That is how I feel empowered. <laughs> hey, are they, um, what kind of shoes do they wear? Heels. It's like Love Island attire. What kind of climate are we talking? Uh, California. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know, but apparently this coffee chain is going off in oh. the US and I'm so terrified Shocking. that we come to Australia. Shocking. I know. Yeah, it will, of course it will. The world's terrible. What happens it's... if you spilled hot coffee on yourself? You're practically naked. It, it's probably more ideal than having a wet t-shirt <laughs> you've got to clean. <laughs> this is an oh and No, you just wipe it right off. Mm, I'm worried about the oh and What a brilliant concept. Standards here. Yeah, I know. It's genius. Kill me. This man deserves an award. That's all for the Quick and Dirty. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was, it was a bit unrehearsed. I, you know, was off the cuff comment that was inappropriate for, for air. Shouldn't have been on radio, you know, 100%. The doctor was a good looking rooster. Hey, he's not bad. Four years of The thing is, um, as I said, we, we've got no income now. In the same week, Louis C.K., the world famous comedian embroiled in his own Me Too scandal, made a return to stand up comedy. A glum Barry Hall, the local footy star who made vile comments on Talkback Radio in June, was illuminated into our living rooms on 60 Minutes. That's the sound clip you just heard then. According to Barry, he's the victim after joking about sexual assault on radio. We've got no income now, he told Channel 9. There's no real light at the end of the tunnel of when that will change and when that will be. Zara, what on earth do we do with men who have fucked up in the public eye and when should their punishment end? I do love that that was posed in one question because I think there are kind of two really interesting threads there. What do we do with men who fucked up in the public eye? Well, more often than not, we just put them back in the public eye. When should the punishment end? Well, that I think is the far more complex question and one that I have tried to think about a lot this week, in particular given Louis C.K.'s comeback. Now, for those who don't remember, 10 or 11 months ago, comedian uh, American comedian Louis C.K. was um, exposed by the New York Times as being a pretty prevalent sexual harasser in the entertainment industry. His method was quite a strange one. He would often corner, literally corner, young women, often up-and-coming comedians, in a corner and masturbate in front of them. Occasionally he will get them on he would have got them on the phone and, and masturbated on the phone over the phone to them. Um and it did derail a lot of young women's careers was the argument back then. Recently, in the last week, he made a comeback to the comedy scene by turning up um at a New York bar, essentially uninvited, took the stage, I think he was a mate of the owner of the bar, took the stage and gave um an impromptu comedy set to people who didn't know he was turning up. And that's where the conversations come back because it's been 10 or 11 months since he was first called out and now he's coming back. Did you feel like it was long enough? No, I don't. I think the interesting thing with 
this whole discussion, especially when it comes to how men treat women and the fuck ups that we're going to talk about in this segment, some really interesting points were raised by Ronan Farrow. We both, you and I, Zara, went and saw Ronan Farrow, who was one of the key investigative journalists involved in breaking the Me Too scandal. He's from The New Yorker, and we watched him speak alongside Tracy Spicer this week, and he spoke a lot to the importance of distinguishing crime from just really shit behavior. So when Louis C.K. masturbates in front of a woman, that's degrading and that's disgusting and that's awful. But I don't think it's a crime in very, very strict sense of the term. I don't think that's a crime compared to things like Harvey Weinstein, what they did, which was actually rape and abuse women as disgusting as what he did we do need to have some type of line in the sand between what is criminal and what is just awful behavior and really despicable behavior so i don't know i think what the problem with louis ck is that he didn't give anyone the option of coming to see him yeah for me i mean firstly what i want to i've just been thinking about ronan farrow is it's really interesting to me that that point has been brought up time and time again in the me too conversation about how we should have be really nuanced in our conversations about the kinds of crimes, quote unquote, that people committed. Women have been trying to make that point for a while now. I know Margaret Atwood wrote about it and she got absolutely slammed for it. Ronan Farrow comes out and says it and everyone says, great, now I have permission to have that opinion too. I don't know if that's because he was at the forefront of the movement or because he's a man, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. Mm. That You're right about Louis C.K. turning up at the bar, essentially uninvited, because for me, this is what our conversation should be focusing on more than when he should be coming back. I think there's an inherent sense of entitlement among a wealth of other evil things, but inherent sense of entitlement that comes with a man who sexually harasses women and believes that they should be the objects of their sexual fantasy. To then apologise for his behaviour, which he did 10 or 11 months ago, tell the world that he was going to step back and really think about this and really make changes, and then re-enter the comedy world by taking a stage he wasn't invited on to a crowd who didn't turn up knowing he was going to perform, is peak entitlement to me. To not be self-aware enough to recognise that boggles the mind, particularly given the conversation that we've been having for a year. Not to mention that apparently his set included a joke about rape whistles, which is just so insensitive and gross. You would think he'd be very careful. He also did promise initially to come back with his set and and do a special on making fun of himself and addressing a lot of the controversies around him. He didn't do that either, which a lot of people thought was just a false promise. And if he does do that, I'd really hope that he donates every proceed that he would get from Netflix or whoever would pay him for that to go to victims of sexual assault. One of the things that strikes me as very troubling is that if you're a woman in that audience who has been sexually Mm -hmm. harassed or has been scarred by sexual trauma or assault what do you do in that situation Mm -hmm. so you see this sexual harasser get up on stage he wasn't supposed to be there he wasn't on the uh not the menu but the (laughs) set list (laughs) he wasn't on the menu that day he wasn't on the set list or whatever what you're going to stand up and walk out that's a humiliating experience for you if apparently everyone gave a standing ovation yeah. at the very end, what are you going to do? Just sit in your seat and call attention to yourself. It's a very unusual and unfair position to put people in, even men who might have been sexually harassed or sexually abused in that audience. For Louis C.K. to get up there and think, this is my time to shine. No, you need to give people the ability to say yes or no to you totally. for a long time. He, absolutely. He needs to make sure in these kind of scenarios that people are 
actively making a decision to watch the comeback. Mm. Dana Schwartz wrote for Entertainment Weekly a couple of a one piece this week, which I thought was brilliant, and I'll pop it in the show notes. The first point that she noted was that that Louis C.K. was allowed back into the comedy world by the same power structure that allowed him to abuse women. And the second thing she said was a written statement and then a year away from the spotlight was the PR strategy for Taylor Swift after feuding with Kanye West about whether she agreed to using a lyric about her in his song Famous. It cannot be the same punishment for a man who humiliated and gaslit women, sexually harassing them at work, isolating them and then non-consensually masturbating in front of them. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of these conversations are, oh, well, when are they allowed back in the public eye or when are we going to forgive them? And what really frustrated me, we'll go local for a bit here with Barry Hall, Mm. who for anyone who missed it, Barry Hall is a former AFL player. He, on radio in late June, made a very, very uh, crass and insensitive comment about a stretch and sweep, which is a procedure or it's basically just a doctor checking everything's going okay with a heavily pregnant woman. And he made a comment that the doctor should have licked his fingers afterwards, which is disgusting on absolutely every level. I struggled the most with Barry Hall's comments on 60 Minutes this week saying that he can't get a job now, that all of a sudden this has ruined his ability to get an income and nobody will hire him and he's the victim here. What I don't get in these conversations is why we're talking about media jobs and jobs on public stages and massive platforms as being the only jobs these people can get. Louis C.K. and Barry Hall can go work at the local Coles. They can go work at a bar. They can go work anywhere. They are not above jobs that anyone is qualified for. They are not above that. You do not have to be in the media and you certainly should not be given a platform if you have abused that platform like Barry Hall has in the manner he has. It's been two months for him to turn around after making such a gross comment, which I'll add, he said it shouldn't have been on radio 100%. Sorry, it shouldn't have been said. For that to go through your mind, for you to think that is somehow sexual, a stretch and sweep, You need to look at your brain and your mind and the way it works. And if you haven't done that in the last two months, you don't deserve to be in the media. It's been eight weeks. Yeah. Eight weeks. We haven't, I think there's this idea when we have these conversations about when men can return and and what's the right time. And I know I have uh, thought about that a lot in the last week is I don't know what the right answer is because I think when we have these conversations and say it's not time for them to come back, the response that we often get is, well, what? They're just going to be locked out forever. There's this real sense of absolutism about it. And we don't have the right answer yet. And we don't often think about the women in this scenario. We are so concerned about making sure that justice is correct and right for these men. But rarely do we think of the kind of sentence that these women are being put under. I mean, this Barry Hall, the, the woman who, who Barry Hall made a comment about, where she's been, what, underground for two months Yeah, too. well, we won't mention her name because I don't want to draw too much attention to her because this was obviously quite traumatic for her vagina to be put on a public stage like this is disgusting but she never announced the birth of her child she never she went completely underground made all of her profiles really private and the news of her baby being born was never shared so I think that's a really brief insight into what was going on there and how private she wanted to then make everything after that her husband's quite famous and in the public eye so Yeah, I mean, for Barry Hall to put himself as the victim in this, it's just, it boggles the mind that they suddenly, these men think that they are entitled to a position in the media. To be in the media is a privilege and you better 
you better live up to that standard and you better give the community something worth listening to. And you are not owed, because you're a good footy player and you could kick a few goals, you are not owed a microphone or a set of ears to listen to mm-hmm. your thoughts and what is in your head when clearly you are quite backward in how you consider women and how you consider pregnancy. And how you th- and what you think is an appropriate conversation, an appropriate decent conversation. Yeah. Why do you think we have been so outraged about Barry Hall and why there was such a call to arms to get him sacked and yet Wayne Carey, another AFL footballer who has quite a sketchy past, is still illuminated on our TV screens every week. Yeah, well, this is another layer altogether. So again, if you are not from Melbourne or if you're not across AFL, Wayne Carey is probably the sport's golden boy. He was... He is considered one of the greatest players of all time. He's also considered one of the most disgraceful players of all time. So I'll give a bit of a rundown of his rap sheet about his treatment of women. So he has pleaded guilty to indecent assaults against a woman in a nightclub in 1997. Almost a decade later, his girlfriend reportedly went to police to allege that he was beating her. They denied those reports, but then reports of him bashing her were corroborated by a US security guard who witnessed violence. He was later arrested for glassing the same girlfriend in the face and neck two years later. Then he kicked a policewoman in the teeth when she tried to get him into the police vehicle. He is, in every sense of the word, a bad man and he is misogynistic. I don't think anyone can look at that history spanning how many years? 20 is that? Years. 12, yeah, it, decades against women. I'm sorry, that's too many chances to be given. And he is illuminated into our living rooms and into our homes every Friday and Saturday night. He is given the top spots to commentate the football. On White Ribbon Night, he's there amongst the other panellists and other men on those teams. And he is disgraceful. And for Channel 7 to continually give him this beautiful, shiny platform is beyond belief. It really is. And I think... It's it's really tough when you have these conversations because I think there is merit in talking about how we need problematic men to be reformed and we need them to be able to know that they can reform themselves. And I think we need that because we need problematic men, whether they be violent men or harass, harasses themselves, to put their hand up and say, wow, I've messed up here. I need help. And if we are consistently alienating and isolating anyone who makes really kind of gross mistakes, then we're in trouble. But I think when it comes to someone like Wayne Carey, how many chances do we have? I don't have the energy to give him an eighth chance. I truly don't. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that I don't think Wayne Carey should never be able to earn an income again. I'm not saying that. I think he has the right to earn an income. I don't think he has the right to be in tens of thousands of living rooms twice a week to women who have potentially been beaten by their partners or men who have potentially been victims of assault and violence as well. He does not deserve it. He doesn't at all. He can go do anything. If he's a good footy player, go coach a team away from the spotlight. You should not be given a platform to share your opinions and your voice when you have such despicable actions off the field. Clementine Ford wrote this week about Louis CK, but I think it's pretty relevant across the board. And she wrote, I think it's patently obvious at this point that Louis C.K.'s career is going to survive the fallout of being exposed as a serial masturbator and sex pest. And it isn't because, as comedian Michael Ian Black tried to argue on Twitter after heralding the comeback, people have to be allowed to serve their time and move on with their lives. It's because people genuinely don't care what powerful, influential, likeable men do to women in their private lives. I think if a guy is likeable enough, enough, then we let them back. Yeah, I think 
it also shows really in a really depressing way we're willing to forgive Wayne Carey because these women are faceless. We're not willing to forgive Barry Hall because he made a comment about a bloke's wife. Mm. Everyone always talks about what he said about Lee Montagna's wife and that's where people are offended. Because she's how not dare... as faceless, absolutely. Yeah, how dare you speak about another man's woman like that? Almost like she's a possession. Whereas with Wayne Carey, he kicked a woman in the mouth and he glassed a woman in the face and we are still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and think that he's going to change. Absolutely. When Clementine Ford wrote this piece for Fairfax this week, the other thing she did is she drew attention to Hannah Gadsby's idea again in the net about this idea that we're happy to let the antics of problematic men slide because we think it's the price we pay for male genius. I mean, hello, Johnny Depp. But I think it can absolutely be applied to the price of of the alpha male in the football world because I think we can see these men as being so talented on the field that we think that there's that's their redeeming feature, that they can kick a bit of leather around a grassy green. Yeah. And let's not forget, these men are fine. I mean, they obviously are terrible at PR, but Lauren Brandt, who is Barry Hall's girlfriend and the mother of his son, she posted a Snapchat or an Instagram story this week of gifting him a $57,000 car for Father's Day. You're kidding. Yeah. So these people are not struggling. When we go around and go, oh, we need to give them, they need to have their lives back. Have your life back, but go work behind a checkout at Coles. Do your time. Like if you can afford a $57,000 car, you're doing just fine. Oh, you're it's not Father's struggling. Day. Yeah. I'm giving my dad a bloody flight voucher for Father's Day. You'll be fine. I do think where I wanted to end this is there was a brilliant and really searing piece from Tom Ma, who was the husband of the late Jill Ma, who was killed in Brunswick a couple of years ago. And he wrote this piece on White Ribbon Day a couple of years ago about the idea of a monster myth. And this was in particular towards violent men about about how we, we can't see men who who do horrible, horrible things to women as wired completely differently because if we think that they're like that, we're never going to get them early. We're never going to be able to sense that they're going to rehabilitate and we're never going to see them as one of us. And if we can't see them as one of us, then we can't change anything. And I think that's really important in our ensuing conversations is that we have to see these men as reformable. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. Yeah, let's go with it. (laughs) Um, In order to move on with the conversation. They were one of Hollywood's biggest power couples. But after seven years, Jennifer Aniston and Justin Thoreau are calling it quits. In a joint statement, the pair says the decision was mutual and lovingly made at the end of last year. We are two best friends who have decided to part ways as a couple, but look forward to continuing our cherished friendship. This week, former Bachelor star Courtney Dober, yes, the one from Georgia Love's season, broke up with his girlfriend Lily McManus, who he met on the Bachelor Winter Games, an American Bachelor special. In releasing a statement, the couple said they've instead decided to just be best friends. It follows on Emma and Lockie Wiggle breaking up and saying much the same thing and mirrors every recent Hollywood breakup by suggesting their relationship has never been stronger despite the fact they're breaking up. Michelle, have we entered the era of the perfect breakup? Unfortunately, yes. I don't know why. I miss the good old-fashioned ugly breakups. <laughs> but apparently having a lovely breakup where you stare longingly into each other's eyes and say, I never loved you more than this moment, and then you never want to see each other again, that's the new trend. It's not funny. Like I, I want to desperately laugh about these things. I mean, it is funny a little bit. I want to very quickly go and give some of the most recent breakup statements from people in the public eye, just for a bit of context here. So when Jenna Duan and Channing Tatum broke up, they said, 
absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love each other. Of course. When Jennifer Aniston and Justin (laughs) Thoreau broke up, they didn't just break up, they lovingly separated and now share a cherished friendship. Mm. When Emma and Lockie Wiggle (laughs) broke up, see, we're laughing, it's not funny. When Emma and Lockie Wiggle broke up, they said, this is just a very positive change in our relationship (laughs) and their relationship is stronger than ever. Help me. What in the world is going on? Well, you're being full gaslighted by by relationship breakup. Can you imagine just waking up one morning, turning to your boyfriend and going, I've never loved you more than this moment. Have that reason. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) But let's still be friends. The Courtney Dover um, example is really interesting because he, um, for those who might remember, like I said, was on Georgia Love season of The Bachelorette, has met this woman, Lily, through The Bachelor Winter Games. They broke up, but they're still posting Instagrams next to each other, best mates out for dinner, mate date. It doesn't this work like that. This was 24 like hours after they announced their breakup. It doesn't work like that. It's not good for anyone to have this we love each other more than ever narrative going on because what happens as soon as you get another girlfriend or another boyfriend and they're going, oh, so you love your ex more than ever and you have this beautiful relationship and it's just very messy and complicated. How well, is that going to work? Well, that's when I think the first thing when I see these is that well, clearly neither of you are seeing anyone else yet because the minute one of you see somebody else, this is going to turn to shit yeah that love's gonna disintegrate pretty damn quick it is i find i mean we're laughing at it but i have been really frustrated reading a lot of these and i know it's a lot of celebrities wanting to take charge of their own public narrative but it has really made me disappointed because i feel for a lot of young people who haven't yet gone through a breakup or who may soon go through a breakup because there's a real sense of um small scale trauma i would say about going through a breakup as a young person. massive not even small scale well, massive tra- trauma i mean yeah sure it like it's first world but it really can rock a lot of your self-esteem and your confidence and there is a real sense of failure that yeah. comes with a breakup why did it happen why couldn't I have just been better and make it and made it work? Why am I so sad? Why can't I get over it? Why isn't my breakup perfect? I feel like it's actually a very close feeling to grief. I know that sounds very hyperbolic. No, it's true. But what I've felt when I've gone through breakups in the past has been very, very similar to losing a loved one or uh, going through that grief process. It can be so horrible to go through a breakup and to see these perfect breakups now on Instagram. It's like, so not only our relationships have to be perfect and we have to have the best body ever and we have to have an amazing career. Now we have to break up perfectly. I'm sorry. I want a clean break from anyone that I've been dating or sorry, Mitch, we're still together. If you're listening to this, (laughs) anyone I've dated in the past, a clean break is what you need. I don't buy this perfect friendship with your ex. It doesn't it's too messy. It's I've too always, complicated. I've always had this thought, and I would love to be proven wrong by this by anyone in our Facebook group or anyone who wants to shoot me a message, but I've long held this idea that if you can be really good friends with your ex, you either weren't super in love with them mm, agree. or one of you is still really in love with the other. I agree. I would love to be proven wrong by that because I'm sure <laughs> there are people like, I'm still friends with my ex and this is why, but I still really stand by that. I know we're talking a lot about young people and I know that breakups can affect people really of any age and of any generation. But I talk particularly about young people because I know in the last couple of years when friends of mine have gone through breakups and I even went through a breakup, we were all taken by such surprise about how much they rocked us. I remember my friends turning to me um, as they went through their first breakup. I think I was probably the first one. And everyone turned to me and said, I had no idea it was this shit. Oh my God. It's horrible. When I went through a breakup, probably when I was, oh, I would have been 19 or 20. 
horrible. I was not a psychopath, but pretty close. (laughs) I was crazy. I actually went crazy. I lost my mind and I considered myself quite a measured, controlled person. Not in a breakup. Nobody is. Some of my most some of my most calm <laughs> friends are the ones that turn a bit crazy. Oh, I, I probably wasn't even the most sane person. I have this vivid memory <laughs> and I shouldn't be telling this story because my, my boyfriend, who has always been my boyfriend, we just broke up for quite a lengthy time in the middle there. When we broke up... Hello, Matt, when you're listening. <laughs> you'll be like, I don't remember this story. <laughs> but I've held tight to it because, you know, when you just have these moments of remembering how mildly unhinged you were, I remember when we broke up and we, he, I had driven him home and he doesn't live close to my house he lives maybe 35 minutes away and I had dropped him off and we had broken up in the car and I remember turning to him with steely eyes and I said if you could just transfer me money for the petrol that I've wasted driving here that would be really great and then he got out of the car and I remember looking back thinking why couldn't I have just been like mildly graceful about it and said I've never loved you more in this moment. Let's be best friends. <laughs> there was one guy that I was dating when I was younger who things ended pretty badly because he happened to also be dating another girl. Ah, uh, yes. But classic. He offered to drive my stuff to my door and I was like, I don't want you anywhere near my house. I hope you post all my things to my address. And so he messaged me like, I've posted it. I'm like, I hope you did express. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's the only sense of power you think you have in those scenarios. And we are joking a lot about it. But I think when people are posting breakup statuses or whatever they might be and and pushing this narrative all it actually does is invalidates a lot of the sadness and anger and resentment that people have when their heart is broken or in a relationship breaks down and it can be a pretty lonely experience even though everybody goes through it I think it can be a pretty lonely experience because like I said a lot of people are taken by surprise about how upset they actually are. Yeah, it just feels totally inauthentic. And I mean, the reason they do this is to stop the celebrity rumour mill. So, for example, Channing Tatum and Jenna Dewan come out and say, look, this is what's happened. We're best friends. Nothing has gone wrong. There's no cheating. There's nothing. Everything else is fake news. So when Women's Weekly comes out the next week saying that Channing has an affair with some dancer, not a true story, but I'm just going on a tangent here, they can come out and say, that's wrong. There's no tension of any kind. We didn't break up for any reason. We love each other more than ever. Like, mm. bullshit. Fucking oh, bullshit. Absolutely. When we went to, we actually went to Business Chicks last week, which was a Business Chicks event. I don't know. I'm going to be like, hey, it's exactly what you think it is by the yeah, name Business Chicks. Women in business chicks. talking, women with social media followings talking about how they, they built them. <laughs> Look how articulate we are by the end of this podcast. And I thought... As particularly an event like this, authenticity is such a buzzword, particularly with people that build social media followings. The advice you get time and time and time again is be yourself. People can see through anything. People can see when you're not being who you are. And I think it's so easy for celebrities to purport to being authentic when everything is going well. And yet when things turn to shit, it's often when they're least authentic. That is when they do push this bullshit narrative about how their life has never been better as their heart splits in two. The other thing... I want to bring into this conversation is Lena Dunham's attitude to her breakup really interested me in the last sort of six or so months. So Lena Dunham broke up with her partner, Jack Antonoff, at the end of last year. Yeah, and they'd been dating for like, what, seven years? They lived together. There was sort of talk of them getting married. She often spoke about when they were going to get married. Yeah. And they broke up. And I remember in the couple of weeks after they announced publicly that they had split, she did a series of Instagram story videos and she was wearing, and I actually can't for the life of me remember, I think it was a necklace that he had gifted her. And she said... 
you're all asking me how I am. I'm doing okay. Yes, I'm going to keep wearing this necklace that he bought me because it still means a lot to me. Our relationship is quite sacred to me and I want to keep wearing this as a sign of our love or whatever. Yeah, she basically said, I'm going to wear this forever. Yes. And then a couple of months later, she wrote that beautiful piece for Vogue that we spoke about. I think we've spoken about it on the podcast and in our Facebook group. Probably my favourite piece of writing if not recently ever. Yeah, and she wrote it. It was really, really great. It was really well done. And she was talking about, you know, the trauma of a breakup and what everything that you go through and how lonely you feel regardless of how many people are around you that love you. And I thought it was quite curious that her initial response was to say that we will be close and I'm going to wear this and cherish this necklace. And months later, the reality set in. And I thought, it's timed almost perfectly to when he's probably started to see somebody else and you realise you're not actually tied together forever, that for a moment in time you guys were a thing and your lives were so closely entwined, but that doesn't last and you actually cannot keep that going. No, you can't hold on to relationships and think about how wonderful they were once they've ended because at the end of the day they've ended for a reason. So for people to come out and say... We had the most beautiful, wholesome relationship. It's just, no, you didn't. Because if you did, you'd still be together. Absolutely. And you can still have great relationships and have them end. But it's once it ends, it ends. And I think we should have more conversations like that. I know we're talking, we wish that there were more messy breakups. We need more ugly breakups. Well, we don't because we don't need <laughs> Sam and Tara kind of breakups. Not that messy, but just slightly messy. we need some sort of transparency around what kind of happens when you do split. Hopefully we never split. What you and me. me. (laughs) If we ever break up, we'll come out and we'll tell everyone exactly how terrible it was. But I do think there's a real sense of gaslighting going on regarding breakups. And I just think that, like I said, the only people that I really worry about at the moment are young people who don't understand the reality of a breakup and maybe might be led into thinking that this is what it's meant to look like. I agree. If we split, are you going to ask me to pay for half your petrol? Most of it. I'll ask ask for the full tank back because of the energy also. So pay for my time too of having to do the drive. (laughs) Hey, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 26. Before we go, we say this every week because it is absolutely true. We are a little independent podcast. Last week, all of your support for Shameless meant that we had the biggest week of downloads we've ever, ever had. So if you love the show, there are two ways to help us grow. The first is click subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. It's just that purple button that says subscribe. Click that. The second way, which has been beyond amazing, is people sharing Shameless on their Instagram story with friends, whether they're listening. And we can't tell you how much that helps us and how much that brings new people to the podcast. You've got all micro-influencers. Very true. Do that. (laughs) Other than that, you can also do the old-fashioned thing of just telling a friend with your mouth. That's old school. I know, right? Invite them to our Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip, or send them the episode if they need some smart, smart smart-ish. Some just celebrity news. Some celebrity news in their (laughs) life. That is it for today. We will see you guys in the Facebook group or on our Instagram. We will chat next week for episode 27. I can hardly wait. We'll see you guys then. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.